Amen. Amen. Find your place today, if you would, in the book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 27. 1 Samuel and chapter number 27. Ladies, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you, your husband, has made a foolish decision at some point? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Now, I said, ladies, raise your hand. I've got men raising their hand. They're just saying, I want to fess up. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations of what I'm talking about, then we'll move into the spiritual decision here. Friend of mine, these will all be friends of mine in order to protect the guilty. This one is not me, but he taught me a lesson. Never go fishing in a boat with a gun. Okay, write that down. It's deep and it's valuable. Never go fishing with a gun. A friend of mine lives not too far here. He's a pastor as well. Had his grandsons out fishing. And they were going down the riverbank. It was just a John boat. And uh, going down the riverbank, casting up underneath the branches. And his grandson cast over and he got hung in a tree for the umpteenth time. And he said, I was tired of losing the lures and hooks and everything else that I'd put on there. He said, so I just determined I'm going to go over there and get it out of the tree this time. And so he just, he had his grandson keep reeling and they slowly went over and, and nudged into the tree and he was going to stand up and take the hook out of the tree and everything be done. Well, when they came into the tree, they came in just a little bit hot, a little bit fast and bumped the tree. And about a four and a half foot water moccasin fell out of the tree. So he does what every normal man does who knows that the only good snake is a dead snake. He is standing up to reach out and get the hook and he sees the snake laying in the floor of the boat and he pulls his gun and he shoots it three times. <laughs> Their fishing trip was over. That's a, that's a true story. Foolish decision. There's another fellow I know that before he had kids, he was intent on keeping his car really nice and clean. And his... Shh. Stop. They will figure it out. These are smart people. Shh. And his uncle told him that the best way to clean your wire wheels on your car is to put them in the dishwasher. And so a friend of mine did that. Not all that familiar at this point in his life with a dishwasher. And so he put dish soap, dish liquid, all up in the crevices on the wire wheel covers. Regular dish soap with a toothbrush and turned the dishwasher on and left and when this friend of mine came home there was approximately 14 inches of soap suds covering the entire apartment of which this friend of mine was trying to get them out before his wife got home 
which he failed to do. But the floors were very clean. And the hubcaps looked very nice when all was said and done. All of us have made some foolish decisions, foolish choices. Today in 1 Samuel 27, we're going to look at a man who God said this about him. This isn't what man said. But God said this about David. He's a man after my own heart. And God had chosen David. We do well to understand this. Even though God chooses, it doesn't make you perfect. And I want us to study for a little while this morning 12 verses in, second, in 1 Samuel chapter 27. I want us to study the first 12 verses. And I want us to look at this smart man who makes a foolish decision. Would you stand with me, if you can, for reading of God's Word this morning? 1 Samuel chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more. In any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Beside that in my Bible, I simply put this, his problems became large. And David arose and passed over with 600 men that were with him into Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives. Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought, no, sought him no more again. Let me ask you this. Do you remember where Gath is? Do you remember who came from Gath? Goliath. David has made a decision that it's best for him to live with the enemy. Verse number 5, And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? And Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. Sixteen months he stays with the enemy. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshrites and the Jezrites and the Malachites. For those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land as thou goest ashore even into the land of Egypt. And David smote the land and left nothing, or left neither man nor woman alive, and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel, and returned and came into Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? And David said, Against the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jesmites, and against the south of the Kenites. David, where have you been today? What have you been doing today? Where have you been making a road? And David lies to him. He tells him untruth what he's doing. Verse 11, And David 
<clears throat> saved neither man nor woman alive, to bring tidings to Gath, saying, lest they should tell on us, saying, so did David, and so will be this manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore he shall be my servant forever. David's a smart man. David's a man who God says great things about. But he's a man who makes a foolish, life-changing decision. And I want us to study and look at the subject this morning. A smart man, but foolish decision. Pray with us, please. Father, help us now. May your word rightly be divided. May you empty me of selfish thought and fill me with your spirit that your word would be given the way you desire for it to be. And may this congregation of people that is gathered in this room not hear from me, but may they hear from heaven. And may it not be the needs of my life, but the needs of their lives that you minister to. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. Now teach us therewith, we pray, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, if you would, please. And as you are, let's walk in David's sandals for just a few moments. He's a teenager, and he is told that one day he is going to be king, and Samuel anoints him. The next thing he knows as a teenager, he finds himself in the palace playing music for the king. And then a whirlwind of activities all the way around him. David sees that his life is changing he comes to a place of national prominence we know that he kills goliath and people begin to praise the things that that uh, david has done we know that he's promoted in the army he's put as captain over uh, tremendous numbers of men uh, he marries the king's daughter it seemed like everything in life was pointing toward the day that what god said was going to happen to him was going to happen and then things began to go the opposite way. Cracks began to appear in David's life before him. He fell out of favor with the king. And we're told numbers of places how that King Saul sought to kill David, take his life from him. The relationship that David had with his wife wanes away and is broken. David had a friend by the name of Jonathan who was Saul's son. And because of the relationship of David and Saul and the hatred that Saul had for David, and David is now dangerous, and Saul's anger was danger, and therefore he and Jonathan's friendship, though they were still friends, they were isolated, they were parted from each other. He was demoted from his position in the army, and we find him as a fugitive on the run, hiding in caves, and only a few people have gathered around him. And yet even as he's running from the enemy, he continued to carry himself well while in that cave. Saul came in the cave, and the Scripture gives us a great story about how David had the opportunity to stretch his hand forth to get revenge, to take care of the situation at hand. But David said, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. God will have to take care of him. He showed compassion in dealing with others. Uh, he even continued to seek God's direction and what he was supposed to do. Then one day, things drastically change and the world is totally different. David, in the passage that we're reading, feels like God has forgotten him. Now let me ask you this this morning. Have you ever had one of those days, one of those weeks, or one of those events when you feel like God has forgotten you? You feel like the enemy is going to prevail over you. You find yourself, or we find ourselves in a place of being discouraged and disillusioned. 
And in a nutshell, this is where David's life is at the moment. He's being hunted down. He is haunted. He's being hounded by the oppression of the enemy. He feels in his heart he is defeated, discouraged, depressed. He's disappointed, and he thinks that God has left him all alone. Now David decides that he is going to go against what the plan that God has laid out for him. And David takes his journey into the land of the Philistines, and there he's going to live among the Philistines. I see in this picture this morning a portrait of a lot of God's people today. When the difficult hour comes, when the lightning hits and the winds are blowing and the storms are difficult, they think, God has forgotten me, therefore I have to do for myself what God is not doing. David pictures other people who have been saved by the grace of God. You began, they began walking with God, but something happened along the way. We sang the song a few moments ago, It is well with my soul. And that is literally what the song means. It is well with my soul. But somehow, when it's not well in our mind, when it's not well with our body, when it's not well with the finance, when it's not well in our relationships, when it's not well in a physical sense, we begin to think, well, does the Lord really care? But praise the Lord this morning. It can be wrong with all of those things in life, but well with our soul. David reaches this point of his life, he is so very low, and we're going to see that smart people make foolish decisions. In chapter 27 and verse 1, I want us to look together, begin looking at the reasons for David's decision. Now, that friend of mine who washed his hubcaps in his wife's dishwasher, there were reasons why he did that. There are reasons behind every foolish decision that you and I will ever make. But the reasons do not justify our decisions. Well, we want to look first of all at this. David shows us in this scripture that David trusted the wrong confidant. David is pictured here having a conversation with himself. But may I ask you this question? What do you say when you're by yourself? Dr. Lakin used to tell a story of a man. You know, they used to call it, in his day, they called it the man with the butterfly net. That basically meant the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the mental ward. So they came after this guy that owned a, a whole lot of things, had a lot of folks that were working with him. Said he approached one of the men, one of the workers that worked for the boss, and he said, listen, does, does he ever talk to himself when he's alone? And he said, I don't know. I'm never with him when he's alone. <laughs> and he said, well, what, what, what does he talk about when he is by himself? And he said, I don't know what he talks about when he's by himself. He said, do you ever see, let me ask you this, what do you talk about when you're by yourself? Have you ever heard somebody talking to themselves and you tried to enter the conversation? What did you say? Oh, nothing. You know it's true, don't you? What do we talk about when we're by ourselves? David is trusting the wrong confident. Instead, we've, we've seen David before. We've seen David in hard times. We've seen David in difficult situations. And we always see him talking to God. But this time he doesn't. He begins to have a, begin to have a conversation with himself. Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 7 says this. Be not wise in thy own eyes. Isn't it amazing what we can, how we can justify our foolish decisions in our own eyes? 
How we can somehow balance everything to where it looks right. Be not wise in thy own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I was in that meeting this week talking to, uh, working with a group of pastors and we're trying to help get that Newport News Baptist Church started. A friend of mine, Watson Morgan, just took a church in the Chesapeake area. He and I had a chance to talk for a little while. We were talking about messages. We were talking about studying. I was talking to him about decisions and the foolish decisions that people make. He said, let me remind you of the church that I pastor. And he pastors a church in the Chesapeake area. He said, I'm following a pastor that had been there for many, many years. The pastor that developed Alzheimer's disease and slowly it took his life and he passed away. His wife is now aging. She was 74 years old. Her health began to fail and her grandson moved in to try to be some help with her. Long story short, on uh, January the 28th, 2016, the grandson shot and killed six members of his family. Why would you make a decision like that? You and I would look at that and say, that's a foolish decision. There was about an hour and a half to two hour period of time, from what I understand, where the police were outside talking, speaking over loud system, trying to get the young man's attention inside the house. And he took his own life. What, what would make you come to that decision? I talked to him a little bit about it, and he says, you know, there's never an end to investigation, and you never know exactly why. But he began to talk about the thinking of this young man. David, what he spoke of when he was alone, began to control his thinking. So we see here first that David trusted the wrong confidence. We find out also that David believed the wrong counsel. When David communed with his heart, he immediately forgot all the great promises which the Lord had made to him. God had promised him, you're going to be king. God had had that promise backed up. And remember, when he was talking to Jonathan, and Jonathan, the king's son, said, David, you're going to be king. And Abigail said, 1 Samuel 25, David, you're going to be king. Even Saul, King Saul himself, knew, David, you're going to be king. But somehow all of the circumstances brought David's thinking to this. I'm not going to see God's promise fulfilled in my life. God has forgotten me. And he listened to the wrong confidence and then the wrong counsel. The Bible says that he began to listen to his heart. Do you understand this this morning? I know we can, many of us quote the scripture. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? In this church, 1983, some of you who were here will remember the name Randy Perdue. Randy Perdue was a young man at the time. His lifestyle... It put him into a circumstance that his brain was affected. His thinking, he listened to himself. You didn't, he didn't have to be alone to talk to himself. He talked to himself everywhere he went. He got infatuated with a young lady in our church. He caused a lot of difficulty and heartache. Threatened to kill several people. Threatened Dr. Sumter. There is still a threat. Thankfully, he's still in lockup. He threatened his parents. We got a phone call. We talked to the 
Dad talked to the sheriff of King William County, prosecuting attorney in King William County, said, you better do something or he's going to do something bad. And we got the phone call one afternoon that in his driveway he shot and killed both his mother and father point-blank range with a shot-off shotgun. What brings you to that kind of decision? What he's listening to? The end of that story is this, that he, came, he went into the house, called the police, and said what he had done. When they got to the house, he came running out of the house holding the big family Bible in his arms, saying, God told me to do it. God told me to do it. God told me to do it. God never told you to do anything like that. God never told you to take the, another person's life. His mind, what he listened to, his confidence, his counsel. But I want you to notice this as well. David reached the wrong conclusion. Jeremiah 17.9 is the verse of Scripture that we mentioned that is the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. You don't know. I don't know what my heart will do. Put into a certain situation under the certain influence and the advice. And listen, when a person is discouraged, when they're depressed, when they're disappointed, they begin to talk to themselves. Their heart will begin to lie to them. We see it in the Old Testament with Elijah. Elijah's worn out from well-doing. And he gets discouraged and his heart begins to lie to him. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 26 says, He that trusteth his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely shall be delivered. You've got to begin to listen to what your heart says. Just listen to what your heart says. That advice, you, can, uh, you, you begin to hear things come from your heart like this. These people don't like you. These people don't care. God is being unfair to you. <coughs> You're really missing out on all the good things of life. That's the things your heart will begin to tell you. There's nothing wrong with living it up every now and then. God doesn't even care about you. If God cares about you, why would he allow the circumstances that you're in? Your heart begins to tell you these things. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. Because you, at some point, came to the conclusion that your heart is deceitful. There are some people in this room who are following their heart's voice. There's two things about you that you ought not listen to, your heart or your conscience. So let your conscience be your guide. I don't know whoever came up with that. It may make a cute song, but it's not reality. I want you to look at the results of David's decision. We've covered a little bit of the reason. The results of David's decision, we begin to see it in verse 2 and 3. The people in David's life that were affected. It wasn't just David... When he made this decision, it wasn't just him. There were 600 men with him. And every one of their lives were touched by what David was doing. The Bible says that these men and their wives and their children, they were all brought down by the decision that David made. All these people were brought to a place of temptation, a place of compromise, a place of going not against David, but against the things that David's God said. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 says this, For none of us liveth to himself. 
There's not a person in this room this morning. In the Bible, we know, the Bible says that we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. So let's just fess up this morning. And there's not one sin in our lives today that affects only us. That's what David said before his sin with Bathsheba. David, just keep looking. It's okay. Only you. It's only you that this affects. And after he had looked, he lusts. And then he acts upon his lust. And through the chronicles of David's life, and I pointed this out a few Sundays ago, David tells his men, go get Bathsheba, but don't tell anybody. Don't say anything. But yet those servants knew. And David in his thinking is thinking, this is my decision, it only affects me, but it affected the entire country. It affected Bathsheba, it affected the baby that was conceived, it affected Uriah, it affected David's home and family. His sons looked at him differently. The people in David's life were affected. When a husband sins, it affects his marriage. It affects his wife. When one or both parents refuse to live by God's standards, it has an impact in the home. People at school, at work, at church, the places that you find entertainment, the places that you go for pleasure, the people that you come in contact with, are all affected. The result of David's sin is the people that were affected in David's life. It wasn't just David. The book of Luke chapter 17, verse number 1 and 2, Then said he unto the disciples, If it, if it is possible, but that offenses will come. It is, imp it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe to him through whom they come. The scripture, this is a scripture that goes on that says it'd be better that a millstone be hung about the neck than this person offend a little child. But the Bible tells us to be very careful. Uh, offenses are going to come. Things are going to come. But woe unto him through whom they come. We become responsible. The results of David's sin, first of all, David, uh, the people in David's life that were affected. Then we look in verse 5 through verse 12. The pattern of David's life was affected. How many people in situations I have dealt with as a pastor trying to help folks and you go back and in hindsight you see something. I wish I had seen that. Families who are suffering because of the actions of a young person or a child or young adult and you, when an action, when a decision is made and the result becomes a reality, you look back and you, you look at that life and you say, there was a pattern there. If I'd just seen the pattern, if I could just have seen where this was leading, so the people that it affected, now the pattern that was affected there. Now, look at some of the things in the Bible reveals about the tragic times in David's life. In verse number four, David lived with a sense of false security. David began to think, well, you know, it, it's, you better be careful who else you listen to on praising you. Because David had heard them talking about David had killed his, his ten thousands. And David had risen to 
his popularity had risen, his power had risen. And suddenly David thinks he's a whole lot more than he really is. And he gets a false sense of security. You remember when he stood before Saul and he stood before Goliath, and he, especially with Saul, and he rehearsed what God had done? And the, the, tie, the, the lion and the, and the bear came. And I, that's not what he said. He did use the word I in there to identify who it's with, but he said God. He knew where his help came from. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved upon him. David suddenly, we find in verse number four, he has a sense of security in himself, and he forgets that that's false security. In verse number five, David sought help and ran. He ran. Look where he ran to. He, he runs to the wrong crowd. When David realizes that he's not all that, and when he realizes all that is coming against him, especially with Saul, and we know that he's speaking of Saul here, he says, if I just go over into a foreign country, Saul's going to back off and he won't chase me. But what does he do? He runs with the wrong crowd. Foolish decision for false security. Foolish decision on the crowd that he runs with. He literally aligned himself with the enemy. Wouldn't you like to have seen him setting this up? Walking into the palace, into the government office to Achish? And Achish looks at him and David has aged, but he still knows this is David and he killed Goliath. And David walks into his presence and somehow... He smooths over all that has been done in his killing Goliath. And Achish gives him a place to stay. He ran with the wrong crowd. In verse number 5, verse 8 through 12, David did things that he would never have done before. We read and we read into several pieces of the Scripture with this. As he went into battle, we know that when he came back, he lies to Achish about where he had been what he had done. We're told very clearly in the verse that he killed everyone. Man, woman, child, all the animals. He just annihilated everything. So David does things he would not normally have done. He murders, he lies. He submitted himself to the enemy. The whole fabric of David's life is now altered by this one decision. And in verse number 7, David stayed there for 16 months. He was comfortable with that. But I want you to note this. During this time, David did not write one psalm. Out of all the psalms that we have, he didn't write one psalm during this time. The sweet singer of Israel has lost his voice. He's lost his song. What are the effects? What are the effects of the pattern? Like the prodigal. You live in a false sense of security. The backslider is never out of the view of the Lord God. The whole time that David was in the land of the Philistines, God knew exactly where he was. One who walks away will find that they're soon doing things that they would not have done before. They're doing them with a crowd. They're enjoying a lifestyle that has changed. And everything around them has changed. And suddenly, you're going to find that your joy is gone. And we spent a couple of weeks looking at the joy of the Christian. 
Let's look together. We've looked at the people, the pattern that were affected. In verse number, chapter number 29, verse 1 through thir- uh, th- chapter 29, verse 1, all the way through chapter 30, verse 6. The peace of David's life was gone. David has fallen about as far as a man can fall. He's out of God's will. He's out of God's path. He is actively working with the enemy and against the people of God. His sin affected people. It affected the patterns of his life. And now it affects the peace. In chapter 29, verse 1 through 5, David has lost his identity. He loses his identity. He unites himself with the Philistines. He unites himself to go and do battle with his own people. That's what he said he was going to do. At this moment, David is literally a man without a country. He has no identity. It amazes me in the realms of Christianity today how many people refuse to identify. To identify who we are in Christ. And David has lost his identity. At verse 6 through 8, David, in the depths to which he's fallen, David grovels at the pagan king's feet and declares himself to be the king's servant. Here he is. God has already told him, you're going to be king of Israel. And here he is in the land of the Philistines, on his knees before the king, saying to the enemy king, I I am your servant. I am the faithful servant of Achish, chapter 29, verse 9 through 11. Chapter 30, verse 1 through 5, David loses far more than he could have ever imagined. The Amalekites come in to retaliate. We're not read it through the scripture, but David and his men go out to do battle. And when they go out to do battle, the Amalekites, they go out the back door and the Amalekites come in the front door. And this is the passage of scripture in which when the Amalekites come in, they take everyone that is there prisoner. They take them prisoner of war, hostage. And as they leave, they take everything that is of value and they burn the city while David and his men are out doing war. Remember who they're doing war with and what for. Remember the patterns that have changed. Remember the people that are affected. Remember the peace that is gone and they're out doing battle. When they come home, they top the hill and they see the city is burned. They come into the city and they find out all their wives, all their children, everything they have is gone. What a crisis they're in. They literally realize that all of these tragedies, these men do, these 600 men realize this. Everything that has happened in our lives has happened to us because of David's sin. But may I remind you what God said about him? David is a man after my own heart. How can a man living in those circumstances be a man after God's own heart? And we'll finish with this today. Number three is found in chapter 30, verse 6 through 8. The recovery from David's decision. I've said this a couple times in the last number of weeks. And I would, I think this would help you if you write it down at those times where you feel like God has forgotten you. Sometimes we feel like that because of the things in our life. It's not just circumstances. There's a lot of things we bring on ourselves. But understand this. David could say, God could say about David, he's a man after my own heart. 
because David didn't stay there. He was there 16 months, but that was it. He was finished. He was going to go home. Here's what I wrote down, and I think it would be a challenge to you. Failure is not final. Failure is not final. And if you want to extend that out, failure is not final with God. The sad thing is, for you and I, failure is final. You say, preacher, you're contradicting. Here's what I mean. In human eyes, in human eyes, failure is final. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna choose somebody. And please, this is an illustration about that person. I'm just gonna choose somebody, okay, Brad. Here's what we do. Because with humans, failure is final. Brad makes a poor decision. And it affects all of us, and we know it. And we say of Brad, you are no good. And you can never be any good. What you have done is unforgivable. That's humanized. And when he already is down, when he already is broken hearted because he's made a foolish decision, we step on him. We crush him under our weight. And we make him an illustration of failure. That's wrong. It's a sin unto God for us to live like that. It is anti-Christ. There are numbers of pastors that I can show you today, who could name for you today, who have fallen. I was in a meeting a couple years ago with a pastor from one of the largest churches in the United States. Listened to him preach. Wow, what a message. And ten days later, he was in jail. And one year later, he had been through trial, convicted, and will spend 11 years in prison before he ever gets out. Now let me tell you something. His failure is not final. Can he ever step behind the sacred pulpit of Christ again as a pastor? No. Because God's Word has some guidelines on that. Gentlemen, I know that got caught up a number of years ago as a missionary on the mission field and he got caught up in pornography and it overcame his life and when it was exposed most everybody even Christian brothers and sisters stepped on him and crushed him can he ever stand behind the pulpit I think he breaks some of the things that the Word of God says about the qualifications of a pastor. 
But there was one person who stepped alongside of him and said, what you have done is a horrible, horrible thing. At the time, his family fell apart. He, like David, thought life is over. One person stood behind him, beside him, and said, listen, what you have done is a horrible thing. It's sin unto God. But God will forgive you of it. And that person brought him into his house and worked with him every day. Brought him through rehabilitation. He brought him back through a place of repentance and with broken heart, he admitted to everyone what he had done. He begged for his wife's forgiveness and said, I understand if you have difficulty forgiving me. But I want you to know God forgave me. This is never going to happen. And she didn't just say okay and open the doors and invite him back in. But through the process of time, God brought their home back together. Understand this. There is a recovery from David's decision. The story doesn't end in failure. In verse number 6, David repented before the Lord. David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him because of the soul of the people was grieved and every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord is God. The second thing we find is not only did David repent, but David relied upon the Lord. David calls on the Lord in prayer and he seeks God's will and he seeks God's help. And David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, I pray thee, Bring me hither the ephod. Now I'm not going into a lesson right now on what the ephod was. It had to do with worship. It had to do with preparing yourself for worship. Clothing yourself for worship. It had to do with those things of spiritual content. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. We see David's repentance. We see David's reliance. And then we find in verse 8 and 9, David returned to the Lord. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. And so David went, he and 600 men. Now let me tell you something. God had to have done something for those 600 men to follow David again. God had to restore more than just David's soul and David's spirit. Because there were 600 men that had lost everything. And they had said, David, it's your fault that we're at this place. And for them, in verse number 9, to step back out and follow David. And so David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those were left behind stayed. The first step in getting things right in David's life, the first step in his overcoming his failure, was repentance. The first step was repentance. So little is said amongst Christians about repentance. We talk a lot about admission. Admitting that we're sinners. If you're here this morning and you have admitted you're a sinner, you're still going to hell. Because you don't go to heaven because you admit you're a sinner. 
The Bible tells us that it requires repentance. His first step had to be repentance. His second step was relying on the Lord. And his third step was returning to the walk that he had with the Lord. Now, God doesn't say, David, you crossed the line. David, you went too far. God didn't say, David, I'm going to give you a three-month probation period. And if you do all right, then. And God doesn't say, well, I'll forgive you, but things can never be the same again. God brought them back to where they were the same again. And in the New Testament, God's testimony of David is this. He's a man after my own heart. My conclusion today is this. David was a mere man. David had nothing special in and of himself, but he did have a special God. David was a smart man, but he made a foolish decision. But he was smart enough not to remain there. He was wise enough not to wallow in it. And like the, good, the story of the prodigal in Luke 15, he came to himself. Once he came to himself and saw who he was, he came to his father. And what did he do? He repented. And what did the father do? Restored him. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you are in life this morning. I don't know as well as where, how God knows.